0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we're continuing our division roundup with the NFC North. We've gotten through six of these already, two more to go. Hope you guys are enjoying fantasy football season. Plenty of preseason games on the way. Almost, almost people, about four or five more weeks. Real life, professional, meaningful football. And we want to get you prepped up. As always, before we get to that point, I am joined by none other than PFF's own Andrew Erickson. Find him on Twitter at AndrewErickson underscore. He's been with me for all these team previews so far. And Andrew, I think we've done a good job keeping them evergreen. You know, if you guys didn't catch the ones, you know, from July, they still work. Go listen to them. What else you got to do? But Andrew, it's August 10th, man. How's it going?
1: Going, dude. It's going great, man. I love the new backdrop. Excellent in the PFF office. Love seeing it.
0: Studio living Getting that audio right for the faithful listeners, of the PFF fantasy Football Pod out there. Per usual with our division preview, we're going to go through every team, ask a defining question, who's the most underutilized player, favorite fantasy value, wild card scenario, and finally give our picks for the over/under. So, Andrew, starting off with the Chicago Bears, when is Justin Fields getting this getting this starting job? That's all anyone cares about.
1: Yeah, that's really the big scenario, and you'd think it'd be after week one because you have the bears playing the Rams and I can't imagine it's going to go well for Andy Dalton and company. I think the biggest thing that Andy Dalton can't deliver on is working behind this patchwork offensive line. Like bears have PFFs 28th ranked offensive line heading into next year. And we saw Andy Dalton play behind a bad offensive line last year and it did not work out favorably for him. So again, Justin Fields offers that mobility that he can escape from the pocket, make throws off script, which is something Andy Dalton can't do. And, Based on the way that this offensive line is constructed that's going to nece- that may necessarily be what they need at the quarterback position to save matt Nagy, ryan pace their jobs man they-, they can't sit down without getting a lot of heat on the rear ends because they need to deliver wins in 2021 and i do believe that justin Fields is going to give them the best chance so i don't think it's going to necessarily take super long i mean if dalton's playing well then okay keep him in there but i can't imagine we're going to start second half of the season justin Fields not going to be under center
0: Looking at the schedule, the Rams game, everyone's saying, okay, why would you sacrifice fields to the Rams anyway? (laughs) I don't actually see them, though. Going with Andy Dalton in week one, he doesn't play good because he's facing the reigning number one defense in the league. And they're really going to pull him out right before he gets a chance to go against the Bengals again? I don't know, Andrew. So that just seems like such a short leash. And if you look at the schedule after that, we got Rams, Bengals, Browns, Lions, Raiders, Dalton could live with that stretch. After that, it gets tough again. Packers, Bucks, 49ers, Steelers. But their bye isn't until Week 10. There is a possibility. I don't think it happens, but there is a possibility Fields is not out there till Week 11. The city of Chicago might burn down by that point. I mean, we're seeing like one touchdown training camp highlights and people are already losing their mind for Fields. Gun to your head, when would you say he gets out there? I would say before Week 11 six i'm thinking sometime at the end of september what's your feel?
1: i agree with the way that you kind of spend it with that bye week because you imagine okay now we're and in, we're inserting this mobile quarterback in we can add new packages to the offense that we haven't necessarily worked on before we can get everyone acclimated to life with justin fields under center full time and again i think that makes probably the most sense so i think the second half probably is that area that i would target so after week 10.
0: And people, which I'll probably repeat this like three times in this podcast. You've heard me say it already. If you get Justin Fields in your draft, that's great. We want dual threat quarterbacks and Fields. I mean, as much as he can also throw the ball, him and Lance just have that rushing upside that we don't normally see from year one signal callers. If you get them, though, and you're worried about who's going to be your quarterback for the first half of the year, it's Mr. Kirk Cousins starting with the Bengals, the Cardinals, the Seahawks, the Browns, the Lions, the Panthers, and the Cowboys first seven games of the year. So it might take a little bit, but I think they're moving in the right direction. You know, I, Andrew, I was really not pissed, but I was going along with the rest of the fantasy football Twitter outrage on some of Nagy's quotes earlier in this offseason. I've kind of come around, though. I get it. You don't give him the job immediately without any competition and watch him, you know, struggle. You let him win the job and start to get the momentum going with that. So we'll see. I mean, while we did hear the quote, you know, on our boss's own, Chris Collinsworth a podcast where, uh, you know, Nagy said, no, Andy's our starter definitively. He went on. If you listen, the whole podcast was more, uh, you know, just mature is not the right word, more uh, rational about the situation, as I think a lot of us would like to see. So fingers crossed. We're not really going to see this Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes light thing and. In- Chicago, I'm confident, pretty confident Fields is going to be out there sooner rather than later. Let's talk most underutilized player next, Andrew. Who do you got on the Bears?
1: For me, it's Bears second year tight end Cole Komet. Nailed it. Because Jimmy Graham, corpse of Jimmy Graham still still lurking in the red zone in the end zone for the Bears. And that's really what's kind of stopping us from getting all aboard a Cole Komet second year breakout because Kmet got the snaps. like His role increased during the second half of the year last year season he never played less than 77 77 percent of the team's offensive of snaps played ahead of a veteran Jimmy Graham after the bye week so it, it's all there for him like it's up for the taking Eleventh most routes run at the position Cole Komet, but Jimmy Graham he has a no trade clause you, you've said it a million times Ian he's on the team and he's gonna catch touchdowns because that's what Jimmy Graham does and we're probably gonna be talking about him as like a top 10 tight end at some point during the season because he's stumbled into six or seven re- receiving touchdowns so as long as Graham's on the roster and unless we like really see the snaps where it's like he's not playing at all, which I don't necessarily envision, you can't get too overboard with Komet, at least early on.
0: Graham could be cut at any point, but could not be traded, as you bring up uh, there. God forbid someone wanted to trade for Jimmy Graham. Not happening under Ryan Pace's watch. I would say, and this kind of sent like a shiver down my spine when I realized this. I was going through, looking at what tight ends just basically have wide receiver usage, and Jimmy Graham fits that mold. 67% of his targets last year came from the slot or out wide. They got rid of Anthony Miller. I mean, Daz Newsom's a six-rounder, like Riley Ridley, Javon Wims. We might see a two tight end base offense in Chicago with Jimmy Graham basically being their slot receiver. And he's not completely washed. We still see him make a handful of like pretty great contested catches in the red zone every year. You know, last play of Mitch Trubisky's career, he hits, you know, MVP, hits Jimmy Graham down the seam, and Jimmy just leaves the stadium. I want that to be his last play of the Chicago Bears tenure. So bad. I'm not sure that's going to be the case though. So, Jimmy Graham, even though he's holding back Cole Komet, you know, it's just one of these situations where. We want the younger guy to get the job, and Cole Komet, I think he could do good things with it. That's why he's our most underutilized player. Unfortunately, not looking too likely. I'm still taking guys like Adam Troutman, Anthony Ferkser, and Gerald Everett in the tight end range well before Cole Komet. Andrew, favorite fantasy value? Are we about to talk to Darnell Mooney?
1: No, it is not Darnell Mooney. Ooh. I'm just going straight to the alpha. I'm going straight to Allen Robinson, because I don't think that the market is recognizing that he's going to play with the best quarterback of his life this year. Regardless of whether it's Andy Dalton or whether it's Justin Fields under center, because look, say what you want to, say what you want about Andy Dalton, but you know, last year down the stretch, like when he finally got him settled in, like he wasn't really even that bad. Like weeks eleven through seventeen, he was PFF's fourteenth highest graded quarterback, throwing from the intermediate level ten to nineteen yards, posted a ninety point seven PFF passing grade, it was higher than Dak Prescott. Actually, ranked eighth best among all quarterbacks over that time span. Last season, Robinson was fourth in targets and PFF's fourth highest graded receiver on targets thrown in that intermediate level 10 to 19 yards, 10 to 19 yards downfield. So I think that we're going to see this offense throw the ball a ton with Andy Dalton under center. That's what we saw with Matt Nagy when Nick Foles was the quarterback and when Matt Nagy was actually calling plays last year before he gave up play calling duties. And then they really turned the script to like giving the ball to Dave Montgomery a lot more in the running game. So I think the volume is going to continue to be there for Allen Robinson last two seasons he's the only receiver with 150 plus targets so I think that's locked and loaded once again to be there and he's just not sexy like he's not the sexy guy and like he's not CeeDee Lamb like he's not but at the same time you're locking in a consistent player that's going to produce no matter what and now has untapped potential that Andy Dalton could be the best quarterback he's played with and Justin Fields will definitely be the best quarterback that he's ever played with as PFF's most accurate quarterback in the PFF college football era
0: Last year, I wasn't sitting in his chair, but I was on this podcast and I was saying Nick Foles is the best quarterback that Allen Robinson will oh, have great. ever played with. Maybe he was, man. It worked out well enough. Robinson continued to return you know, the wide receiver one value that we've come to expect from him uh, really throughout most of his career. He had the one dud with Bortles, but come on. I mean, the fact he even got one boom out of Bortles tells you all you need to know. And just for those that don't remember all the hardship Allen Robinson has had to go through, even dating back to his days at Penn State. Christian Hackenberg, Matt McGloin, Blake Bortles, Chad Henney, Mitchell Trubisky, Chase Daniel, and Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, Justin Fields. It's, it's not a hot take at all. They are both absolutely the best quarterbacks he's going to have played with. Andrew, do we have to start calling Andy Dalton Andrew Dalton? Because I'm not sure if you saw the pick, man. But stunting a pretty fresh visor at practice, he's got a mustache going. Maybe this is a new Andy Dalton.
1: Did He he borrowed Nick Foles' visor. Like Nick <laughs> Foles is like going in the locker room trying to figure out, dude, where's my visor like, oh. Andrew Dalton took it, and he's flashing the red beard. I love it, man. Yo, the red rifle's got got bolts in the in the chamber, ready to unleash.
0: Real quickly on Darnell Mooney, I think he's fine where he's going. Like I think wide receiver forty eight was his ADP on underdog right now. I just would chill out. Some people, and you know our PFF social media is guilty of this sometimes. I saw one quote. <laughs> I don't want to throw Jared under the bus, but I think it was like Darnell Mooney is going to the moon. Let's try to. When we say someone's going to the moon, let's not say that for someone that we're ranking like 40th or something. Let's kind of reserve that for CeeDee Lamb. That is fine. CeeDee Lamb going to the moon, top 10 receiver. I get that. I'm not sure if the moon is in Mooney's potential range of outcomes this year. He's fine as your wide receiver 5 or 6 on your team. I'm not discounting that. Just realize, people, I put together the damn clip that's circulating on the internet of him roasting Ramsey, roasting Carlton Davis, and getting overthrown. Those are his highlights, basically, man. Like, that's not great when your top two highlights are missed passes. I know he should have, you know, the ball should have been on him. But we're still looking at a guy that last year, 128 qualified receivers, ranked 85th in PFF receiving grade, 103rd in yards per out run, 52nd percentage of catchable passes caught. He's good. I'm not sure he's this world beater we need to be prioritizing in drafts. Right now, he's going one spot behind Jalen Waddle. And, Andrew, I will lose my shit if we ever see Mooney have a higher ADP than Jalen Waddle. But, again, story for another day with Jalen Waddle. Tune in to my guys article out on PFF.com uh, on Wednesday or Thursday, and you might just hear more about Mr. Waddle. Andrew, what is your wild card scenario for the 2021 Chicago Bears?
1: A wild card scenario is that Damien Williams returns to form as a legitimate fantasy option at the running back position. I think that he's kind of emerging as one of these late round running backs that you can target with potential standalone value, in addition to some upside if anything were to happen to a starter in David Montgomery. So we talk about Damien Williams, he's really filling in that receiving back role that is usually occupied by Tree Cohen, but Tree Cohen is still returning back from his injury. He's still weeks away according to Matt Nagy so that's concerning about where Cohen's status is but it seems like they really love Williams he's impressing at Bears camp as a receiver and look man when David Williams was on the Chiefs like he was made famous for that wheel route like he was friggin' nasty Adam Holmes is always hitting him down the seam on the wheel route so again he's been a guy who's been involved as a pass catcher the last season he played in 2019 he caught at least three passes in over half of his games for the Kansas City Chiefs and look you mentioned it before you could see Jimmy Graham in the slot maybe they play Damian williams in the slot like they need more bodies to catch passes here with darnell mooney and alan robinson operating as the one two guys there's really no one else to throw to since they traded anthony miller who had a 77 percent snap share last season so cohen played over 27 percent of his snaps on the slot in 2019 if he's still banged up i really like damien williams as a guy to stash with one of your late round picks to kind of see his role emerge in this offense he obviously has familiarity with matt nagy from their days back to kansas city so i like Damian williams a lot
0: So I had the potential wildcard being Montgomery continues to have full control of the backfield. So we're on the same page with like this backfield. We don't really know what the splits are going to be like because Tariq Cohen right now is out of training camp. And, you know, Matt Nagy suggested here recently this past uh, Tuesday on August 3rd, about a week ago, he said that Cohen is weeks away from being activated, hobbling out there on the sideline. And for those that just think that, hey, who cares if Tariq Cohen's back? He's not any good. He's the 11th highest-paid running back in the NFL. I don't know why Tariq Cohen is the 11th highest-paid running back in the NFL. He is, and they love feeding him targets when he's out there. So if Tariq is back, that's going to hurt everyone involved, obviously mostly Dave Montgomery. The first three games of last year when Tariq was healthy, Montgomery had snap rates of 45%, 54%, and 56%. I don't know that people realize just how important the receiving production was to Dave Montgomery last year. He was literally fifth- among all running backs and just PPR points from only receiving production. Like that's like Alvin Kamara was first, Naeem Hines, Chase Edmonds, like Eckler. We expect those guys. But then there is David Montgomery. And you bring up a good point, Andrew, because Damian Williams could just be their backup to Tariq Cohen. And we see Montgomery go back to. snap rates more weeks than not. You know, in my Twitter bio, I've had president of the Cordero Patterson fan club in there for years. I take that responsibility very seriously. But it was funny when, uh, you know, Tariq originally got hurt last year. Everyone was saying, oh, Ian, waiver wire, CPAT time. Like, let's get it. I'll say, no, let's not get it. They're going to treat him as a gadget. He is not a real... I got to choose my words carefully here. He's not a real three-down running back, even though he is talented enough and versatile enough to moonlight just about anywhere. And the Bears treated him that way. Cordero never had a game with more than 20 snaps lined up in the backfield last year. So, Damian ends up being... A guy who, hey, his last freaking game, he had over 100 yards and two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. I think we all know he can be a solid NFR running back. He might actually make this far more of a committee than people are hoping. Where do you have Montgomery ranked, Andrew? Because I've been moving him up a little bit as the Tariq Cohen news kind of gets worse and worse. But I have him as RB17, still behind guys like Swift, Carson, Clyde. I just can't get him into that top 14, 15 range where I'm you know, trying to actively come away with him in drafts.
1: Yeah, that's kind of a similar area to where I have him. I have him at RB20, and I did move him up a little bit. So for me, the only other guys I'm ranking ahead of him, especially like considering like the people, like I have Travis Etienne ranked ahead of him because I'm want- I'm chasing some rookie upside with the
0: potential of
1: him being a locked and loaded pass catcher. I have Dobbins because I like, I just think Dobbins is better overall. And if they both don't catch passes, then yeah. I think that Dobbins will just be the better scorer. And then Daryl Henderson, who is kind of just like a, a polarizing player to talk about rankings-wise because... It could change drastically if they add another player, but I like the outlook of the Rams offense more. But yeah, I can't get behind him going ahead of Swift or Carson or Edwards Slayer or any of those guys.
0: Yeah, just firmly in that kind of next tier back. So in my last podcast, I had on here about my top 10 tips for your fantasy drafts. One of those was, you know, I'm using second and first, second and third round picks on the top 14 running backs after that. When it comes down to guys like Montgomery, Henderson, Etienne, if they fall to rounds five or six, then absolutely. We don't hate players. We hate ADPs. But when it comes down to like Montgomery versus a legit top 10, top 12 wide receiver, I'm taking the wide out every single time. Andrew. Courtesy of the fine folks at DraftKings Sportsbook, we have an over-under for the Bears. Just 7.5, minus 125 juice on the under. What are you feeling?
1: Going with the under on the 7.5, I think that the Packers and Vikings are really strong opponents in their division. And I don't like the fact that they're going to start Andy Dalton for a lot of the season. They also have to play the NFC West which is not ideal because that I mean we talked about that on that podcast that division is literally stacked we're all like okay over 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 (laughs) we can't take the over on everybody so that means we need to take the unders on the team that they play so I'm gonna go with the under on the Bears seven and a half
0: I'm gonna take the slight over here and maybe you know after we get through these four teams I'll be coming back to this because you're right we (laughs) can't be taking every single over but as you know as underwhelming as the Matt Nagy era has been, 12 and 4, 8 and 8, 8 and 8, and it wasn't fluky last year. Sometimes you see the 8 and 8, but their you know point uh, you know differentials out of like a 6 and 10 team or something like that. But last year, their expected wins and losses were still uh, 8.1, 7.9. So I'll take the over with uh, the extra juice going on the under anyway. You know, would I expect the Bears to hit double-digit wins? Absolutely not. But you could imagine, Andrew. Moving on, we got the Detroit Lions. Everyone's been waiting for the Detroit Lions uh, breakdown. We'll skid through this one, Andrew. Defining question, I got can Jared Goff maybe not be terrible because as rough as things got in 2020, I do think people need to remember, this is a guy that at least productivity, production-wise, he's put up numbers in the past, 4,600-plus passing yards in 2018 and 2019. The huge issue for Goff that I'm sure if you watch the guy play, you can realize once the play breaks down, once he has to go off script, It's pretty much dead. Last year, the only quarterback with a larger drop-off in yards per attempt under pressure versus kept clean, my guy Drew Locke. And as much as I try to stand Drew Locke on here, he's usually not good uh, company to be keeping at the top of leaderboards other than big-time throw rate. PFF does give this Lions offensive line uh, a number 10 spot ranking ahead of 2021. I'm not saying you should buy Jared Goff. I don't think I've drafted him in one best ball draft throughout the entire offseason. But Andrew, could he maybe just be like an average quarterback? Are we overlooking that potential? Because if he could, we'll get to the one total. Maybe, just maybe. Dan Campbell, hard-nosed, people playing for the guy. Jared Goff doesn't completely suck. Am am I just talking myself in too much of a circle here?
1: Can't get behind taking any any types of overs for the teams that are flirting with potentially tanking for their franchise because i learned that lesson after taking the over on the miami dolphins a couple years back did not work favorably in my favor so not going to make the same mistake twice but when it comes to jared goff i mean man what are we we're talking about and the nfl's eighth ranked quarterback all time in passing yards per game jared goff 263.3 passing yards per game so yeah like i think that he can be good enough to at least supplement, and support the guys that we care about for fantasy football. And for me, my defining question was, how high can TJ Haw- Hawkinson finish this year as a tight end? I have him firmly locked in as my tight end four. I think it's pretty clear that there's a big three and then a teardrop to TJ Hawkinson. But I wouldn't be surprised if he closes the gap because of the just stupid volume he's going to see in this offense. Look, Jared Goff has a history of targeting the tight end position over the past two seasons. He's targeted the tight end at a 20, 20%, 20% clip 10th highest. He also ranks fifth in total passing yards and fifth in total attempts to the tight end position. We saw Tyler Higby breakout, a face melting breakout for five weeks. And that could be potentially what is in the outcomes for a TJ Hawkinson. We've already talked about the other players on this offense. There's nobody. They have the most vacated targets and air yards from any other team in this off season. Cause they got rid of Gala. They got rid of Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola. All these guys are gone. And of the 26 tight ends to lead their teams in target shares since 2015, have finished as top three fantasy producers. And of the tight ends that have finished with at least 115 targets, 75% of them have finished as top three fantasy tight ends. The PFF projections have him for 115 targets, which is only 19 more than he had last year when he was competing with those other guys for targets. I think we can probably project him for 20 more targets. That's like one per game, just a little bit. I think we can hit that. So I think that Hawkins has a legitimate chance of entering into that top tier and being a legitimate Difference maker when you can get him in round five, or round six.
0: We also finally don't have to deal with Sheriff Jesse James anymore. It's ridiculous that he was a problem, but the Lions gave him like a $24 million contract before they drafted <laughs> Hawkinson. And because of that last year, Hawkinson only hit that 75% snap rate in seven of his 16 16- games. He was still the undisputed starter, but yeah, just being on the field for an extra 15 snaps a game could also go along with getting that, you know, not huge, just a modest target uh, increase. And, you know, don't confuse Tyler Higbee's uh, not hitting his ADP last year or coming even close to it. That wasn't on golf necessarily. That was on Gerald Everett. Making that a two tight end offense won't be the case here in Detroit. Andrew, let's talk most underutilized player. We're talking DeAndre Swift, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's ultimately the question here is DeAndre Swift's workhorse role. Is it a workhorse role? I mean, we've seen some reports where, you know, Albert Breer just straight up said he looks like the bell cow for the Detroit Lions. And that goes against basically everything that the coaches have said. Anthony Lynz talked about using a committee. And I think that's really more or less what we're going to see here. We're going to get more into Jamal Williams. Because I do think that he's probably one of the better values on this team. But the thing with Swift is you need to realize that he's path to success is through this team trailing in games like it's all about his receptions and usages in the passing game like you really can't bank on his rushing production to really get you anywhere like yes he's obviously probably going to be pretty efficient running behind one of the top 10 offensive line we can lock that in but is he going to score three touchdowns like four rushing touchdowns like maybe it's either going to be him busting off a big run because jamal williams has a chance to operate at the goal line instead of deandre swift so i think that where he's going I think that it's pretty fair based I, I would not consider him in a standard format half point PPR he's not nearly as valuable in a full point PPR yes I think Swift is a legitimate RB2 that you can definitely lock and load every single week especially when you can look at the lines and be like yeah they're gonna be trailing in this game I can feel more confident about DeAndre Swift you know this coaching staff has is basically coming from other systems that use two running back systems so Dan Campbell's coming from the Saints obviously Kamara and Latavius Murray anthony lynn's coming from the chargers where it was melvin gordon austin eckler so i mean we've seen guys like austin eckler and alvin kamara obviously succeed with just unlimited snaps like playing just like a 60 percent snap share so there is a path where swift can deliver but don't draft swift thinking okay i got a top five running back like top 10 running back i don't think that's just in his ceiling just based on the fact that this offense overall is not going to be impressive
0: Yeah, the path to success is 100% revolving around the pass game usage, and he is one of only 10 running backs PFF projects to get at least 60 targets next year. You know, it's not the end of the world if Jamal Williams is going to be really involved in this offense. And the quote that, you know, rocked the fantasy football Twitter world back in the middle of May uh, from new offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn, Jamal is what I call a classic A-back. My A-backs are normally my bigger backs. I can leave those guys in there for all three downs. My B-back comes in. He's the guy that sometimes I want to use in space more. He's my speed and space guy. If he's just trying to call Swift, his new Austin Eckler, that's fine. Like, that's great. We'll get all these receptions and full people. Full point per reception formats, and we'll be vibing. I mean, Adrian Peterson already led this backfield in carries last year, and Swift still returned RB16 value in full point per reception. That's what we need. That's where he is the most special. Last year, only Kamara, James White, Miles Gaskin, Naeem Hines, and Austin Eckler averaged more yards per out run than DeAndre Swift. So I would just say, I mean, Anthony Lynn, he has a nice little history here of the RB1s. Uh Shady turned in RB4 performance. Melvin Gordon went RB6, RB5, Eckler, RB6, and RB. 12 in PPR points per game. Five years running of having a top 12 PPR back. Here's to hoping Swift can continue that trend. Andrew, now we're going to talk about the other back because our favorite fantasy value, it's got to be Jamal Williams.
1: Yes, it's Jamal Williams and if you haven't checked out some of his mic'd up practices from training camp, go check it out on Twitter because the dude is absolutely hilarious. He's, he's so fun to root for and cheer for. So again, he's also a great value in fantasy football. So you really have no excuse for not leaving your draft with some Jamal Williams exposure because He's going to have a role in this offense. You can't say that about a lot of backup running backs. And at the same time, he also possesses a three-down skill set like we saw last year when Aaron Jones missed some time. Week 7 and 8 at Williams averaged 18.8 fantasy points per game, 21.4 expected fantasy points per game. And he finished last season as PFF's eighth highest-graded rusher. Like, he has steadily increased his ability and talent as a running back since entering the NFL. And yes, he's been next to this supreme talent in Aaron Jones this entire time. So, yes, he has not nearly been you know, in the spotlight as a feature running back because he really wasn't that good to start his career. He wasn't. and But he's gotten a lot better, and he's improved, and he's earned a spot on this new Lions offense. And I do think that he's going to have a role. He's going to have a couple of weeks when maybe the Lions are playing in more competitive games. There's obviously going to be scenarios where he gets game scripted out, and it's going to be the DeAndre Swift show. But, look, man, I'm for Jamal Williams, and I absolutely love the nicknames that they've given each other, Swifty and Swaggy. For DeAndre okay. Swift and Jamal Williams.
0: Love it. Getting swifty out here, as always. People, say it with me. Jamal Williams is a flex with benefits, as always. I keep giving credit to Mike Wright. Fancy footballers came up with that fantastic phrase. But it's completely true for him. AJ Dillon, James Robinson, Kenyon Drake, Latavius Murray. These guys were okay. We're getting 10 to 12 combined carries and targets per week. You're not firing them up in your RB1, but you can live with that on a flex in the right matchup, particularly as bye weeks start to come in. And God forbid something happens to Swift, we have a running back that we know can operate on all three downs if asked to do so. So, Andrew, like AJ Dillon, Jamal Robinson, Drake, and Latavius, those guys I just listed, and there's a few more. I'm taking them ahead of like Tony Pollard and Alexander Madison who might have a better best case scenario, but there's also a chance that we just get nothing from them throughout 17 games. I mean, maybe you know, best ball land if you're just shooting for pure upside and you're saying, you know, you don't have Zeke and you're saying, hey, just Tony Pollard if he, you know, if he gets to start 12 games, like he's going to absolutely ball the hell out but I feel like, again, these flexes with benefits we need to put them a tier above just more the true handcuffs. Do you agree?
1: Yes, I agree. I know I did a study about six weeks ago looking at some of these ambiguous backfields and looking at running back breakouts and basically what i found was that the handcuffs don't hit and it's the handcuffs that you don't draft are the ones that actually end up hitting and not the ones that you hold on to all season long and then when you start them like an alexander madison or a brian hill and they just don't fire and you're just like wow i tell him that guy all season long and then he just busts for me and now i'm out of my fantasy championship so yeah don't Hang on to these players unless, again, it's a le- if Alexander Madison's fallen 50 rounds or 50 spots after ADP, then sure, take a flyer on him. But at the same time, like you're gonna get frustrated, to hold on to these handcuff running backs that are not doing anything. And you're just holding on to them, so you got to take some of these flex benefits. That's the plan that I, I plan on using.
0: And people, just you know, handcuffing. Don't handcuff your own players. And if you already know this, then you know, excuse me. But if you don't. The theory behind it is this, you know, if you draft Ezekiel Elliott in the first round and you draft Tony Pollard in the 11th, the only way Pollard works out is if Zeke busts. And if your first round pick busts, you're pretty much screwed as it is. So if if you have Zeke in the first and it's between Pollard and Madison later, I'm taking Madison because that just gives you a better overall upside for your lineup. It's first or last. We're not trying to, you know, do whatever we can to finish in the middle of the pack. So just keep in mind, handcuffing. It's okay more, I think, In and I've talked about this, I'm more willing to do it at the end of drafts. If we can get, you know, earlier in the offseason, I was messing around with the idea of like Jamison Taysom as my last two picks in best balls. Because while, you know, using your first and 10th pick, if the first one doesn't work out, like that's a problem. If your 15th round pick doesn't work out and the 16th round one does, okay, then I think we can talk a little bit more about it. But in general, do not handcuff your own guys if the top player is costing you a top three, four round pick. Andrew, you could go a million directions in this one. I feel like I usually have a good grasp on, you know, what questions we're on the same page with, and I can already tell we are going to be off on this one. What is your wild card scenario for the 2021 Detroit
1: Lions? That we, we see a top 24 wide receiver kind of break out of this receiving corps. Who? That seems who, like though? Seems, That That's the problem. Right. Like, we're trying to figure <laughs> out who it could potentially be. So, I I mean, I have my guy. My guy's Quintus Cephas. I mean, he did make that sick one-handed catch that was on the Twitter sphere. So, But I liked him before. He became famous before that catch i just like that i like this film when i went back and watched quinta CFES. you know he had the highest pa- passer rating when targeted last year among all the 2020 rookies 120.4 and the guy saw nine targets in the first week of 10, his career 10 as a rookie 10 targets <laughs> excuse me sorry cifas don't mean don't mean to do you dirty like that but that's telling you that he was doing something right that matthew stafford was looking for him early on and again the guy was probably shocked, and that's why he didn't produce with those 10 targets because he's like, oh my God, they're throwing me the ball. I was not ready for that, but he improved down the stretch, and I liked seeing that from him. The issue is, right now, the rotation is, it looks like it's Tyro Williams, Rashad Perryman, and Amon Ron St. Brown are the three starting wide receivers. So again, Cephas is buried. Like I really don't think you should feel obligated about drafting any of these players. I mean, you want to take a shot on on ross st brown or Tyrell williams i think those are the, probably the two guys that probably start but at the same time i mean if they're not getting if they're not producing they're going to start to rotate cephas in a little bit more i think that he's going to be the guy that i kind of have my eye on during the season somebody you want to look for to on the waiver wire because look Tyrell williams like I, I get he has a connection with anthony lynn back to the chargers but i mean the guy hasn't caught more than 50 passes in a season since 2016. like it's been a while since we've seen Tyrell williams really do anything i'm on st brown is a fourth round rookie pick again he's gonna operate in the slot and people have kind of compared him to cooper cup okay cooper cup was a second round or a second or third round pick so again i don't want to say i'm on ron st brown's gonna be locked and load it's like okay like do you want to lock and load four cat four catches for 30 yards in your lineup <laughs> like you want some guys that can win downfield i think steve can be that guy and Brashad perryman's probably the guy i don't want at least because he's a journeyman and I just can't hey. get behind a guy that only goes vertical with Jared Goff at quarterback. Like, that's, that's a big issue for me.
0: Take it easy on my guy, Rashad Perryman. A journeyman only because teams don't like big, athletic, <laughs> so is that, fast is that receivers. Is that your
1: favorite for the Lions receivers, Rashad Perryman?
0: Yeah, I said card scenario. Rashad Perryman just balls the hell out. <laughs> Three games with Joe Flacco last year. Four catches, 62 yards against the Dolphins. Five catches, 101 yards, two tutties versus New England. Even snatched uh, Jonathan Jones' soul. During that one, two catches, 54 yards, in the tutty versus the Chargers as well. Even had two more good games against the Dolphins in New England with Darnold. Evan Silva turned me on to this, man. Brashaw Perryman has always been good. He was just hurt with the Ravens. He came in the Browns. He did some great things with Baker as a rookie. Tampa, we saw that nice stretch at the end of the year where he balled out. And with the Jets, at least for a little bit, man, he did do some good things. So you're right, though. We don't know who it's going to be. And unfortunately, I went to uh, you know the Athletic. I think the Athletic just has some of the best uh, – training camp coverage out there in terms of what you can ask for uh, from beat writers and all that. And the last Detroit Lions scrimmage, I, I, it was like a day or two ago, uh, Tyrell Williams, Prashad Perryman, and Quinton Cephas were all banged up and not even participating in it. So well, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And yeah, people, I mean, if you want to go fire a dart on any of these guys, you know, round 15 or later, I wouldn't blame you. My pick's Prashad, but either way, probably not going to win or lose your fantasy league. Andrew, we got an over-under of four and a half wins, minus 150 juice on the over. What are you feeling?
1: And I kind of previewed it a little bit, but they're in tank mode with Jared Goff and how they acquired him. So I'm going to take the under. Yeah,
0: I'm going to take the under too. I just can't <laughs> get behind us. They're the, I mean, other than the tech, maybe if they were playing the Texans, we could lock in one game, but they're not. And now it's like, okay, they're, Probably the consensus 31st-ranked team in the league. Just not really trying to bet on that. And yeah, you said it. When a team is in tank mode, probably just a good idea to this, stay this away. This team
1: screams, like, moral victories. Like, Dan Campbell's going to be pumped up if they just lose a game by a field goal. Like, you know, guys, we, we played really hard, but we don't really want to win anyway. Like, we just want to fight and, you know, to the death.
0: So, if they made Dan Campbell, yeah, I love Dan Campbell. Like, I'm looking forward to more uh, great quotes from him throughout the year. But if they were making it worth our while, you know, giving us plus odds or something, maybe, but minus 150 to bet the over in this economy, miss me with that. Andrew, moving on, defending divisional champs, Green Bay Packers. Defining question, my defining question, will the magic continue here after another offseason with minimal roster turnover? Because i.e. Ian Harditz was one of the idiots that faded Aaron Rodgers last year, and this is why I wrote this in my Fade article. Rodgers is still being drafted as a borderline QB1 at worst, largely due to his longtime reputation as one of the league's top signal callers. Perhaps he will regain the magic in 2020, although nothing from his recent play or the offensive skill position talent would indicate a massive fantasy comeback is on the horizon. He finished as the QB10 fantasy points per game in 2018, the QB14 in 2019. Last year, world beater, MVP, i think the best version of rogers we've ever seen if you want to say 2011 fine top two version of rogers ever He still only finished as a QB4, man, because fantasy is sometimes a silly game that rewards rushing quarterbacks more than – not Rodgers isn't a statue – than guys that don't take off as often. So history tells us a 9.1% touchdown rate is going to regress. And again, they just didn't add really anyone of note to this offense. Now we got you know apparent BFF slash roommate, Randall Cobb, in the picture. Amari Rodgers is fine. But, man, like look at every single before the free season – before the free agency cycle, excuse me, like it's always Wolf or Curtis Samuel, like look at all these great weapons we can add to Green Bay and they just routinely do absolutely nothing. Now we're even strapped with some extra O-line problems than usual. Is the match going to continue, Andrew, or are we just, you know, once again, like last year, the pissed off Aaron Rodgers on Jordan Love storyline worked. Are we really going back to the well, basing Aaron Rodgers' success around factors that have nothing to do with our ability to quantify them?
1: No, we're not no. going back to this offense being how it was last year. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the touchdown rate. 9.1% was the highest of his entire career. And look, we saw this play out last year with Lamar Jackson. He had a 9% touchdown rate in 2019. It fell to 6.9%. And that's why everyone was mad about Lamar Jackson. It's the exact same scenario. And we've seen this with Rodgers before. He had a nine point touchdown percent passing rate in 2011. And that fell to 7.1%, 7.1% the following season. And last year... 35.5 touchdown percentage inside the red zone was second in 2020 in the, and it was the highest since 2017 for him. That was really why he was so good is because all the Aaron Jones touchdowns that we were like, hey, are they going to regress? In 2020, we were right. We just forgot to like displace them to another player on the offense. It was like, hey, like they're going to Aaron Rodgers and that's what I would expect to kind of correct itself in 2021. I would, I'm going to assume that the running backs are going to score more touchdowns like an Aaron Jones, like an A.J. Dillon, then going to be going through Aaron Aaron Rodgers arm to Devontae Adams Devontae Adams caught like 18 touchdowns in 14 games like that's not going to be something he's going to be able to do again like he's going to score double digit touchdowns yeah I would say that but not 18 touchdowns in 14 games play for Devontae Adams so that's going to necessarily hurt Aaron Rodgers production because that's what you need from these pocket passers like you said there's no running juice anymore with Aaron Rodgers. Like he used to do it at his prime, earlier in his career, doesn't do it anymore. He had his least amount of rushing attempts this past season. So, he's going to have to have another outlier season of touchdowns and based on historical, you know, track record of players performing so above expectation, it's not going to be something that's going to be repeatable. So, again, is he fairly priced as like the quarterback 8? Like yeah, I think that that's fair, but at the same time like why just draft like Ryan Tannehill yeah. or draft like Burrow or or just wait on one of these mobile rookies? So that's the way I look at Rodgers.
0: It was great getting him like past the QB 12 spot when all the uncertainty was in the air, but those days are gone. And yeah, I'm with you. While QB 8 is fair, just not really uh, a spot where I've been willing to just go after him really in any fantasy draft so far. Let's talk most underutilized player. I'm going to kick us off with Robert Tunyon, one of the few players I can consistently pronounce their uh, last name right against all odds, but he gets this. I don't know, man. Like Robert Tunyon just had 11 freaking touchdowns last year. He played great. He literally, like one of the craziest stats I found this whole offseason since targets began being tracked in 1992, everyone that's had 50 plus targets, nobody has ever had more touchdowns and incompletions until Robert Tunyon last year. And he was plus six. He had six more touchdowns and incomplete passes thrown his way. And what do we say in situations like this? What do we say after AJ Brown in 2019? Regression. He can't be that good again. He's gonna regress. Okay, but when you're that good, you're probably gonna get more than 59 targets the following season. I mean, this was already their locked in starting tight end, 58% snaps and all but one 58% snaps in all but one game. 11 touchdowns from Rodgers, whatever it was, double digits, insane chemistry, and people are fading the guy because we just say, oh, he can't, he can't do it again. Or they say, when has Aaron Rodgers enabled fantasy-friendly tight ends? And if you go back and look, tight ends with 20 catches for the Packers since 2010. Jermichael Finley had that unfortunate uh, career-ending injury. Richard Rodgers, the corpse of Jimmy Graham, Andrew Corliss, Tunyon. Lance Kedricks, Jared Cook, who was only there for one year and missed six games, Mercedes Lewis, and Martellus Bennett, who bounced after seven games. Like, they haven't had a legit receiving tight end to be one of the main, you know, just, I guess, target getters in this offense. Robert Tunyon has a non-zero percent chance to be the number two target in this passing game, ahead of MVS, ahead of Cobb, ahead of Jones, only behind Adams. I know it's not the sexiest pick, but Andrew, like, I feel like the market's still a little bit behind on Tunyon. Rogers is back. I know you're not using a top eight pick on the guy at tight end, but there's a hell of a lot worse borderline tight end ones that I think you could be grabbing out there.
1: I think that he's fine. Again, I'm definitely one of the people that's fine. like leaning did You just more hear on the... the stat? Uh... Did you just hear the stat I gave you, man? Okay, but that's what you're saying. Like you're saying, you're you're listing out like this such outlier stat <laughs> with him. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm afraid to like dive back in because it was so unbelievable what he did last year. And some of the stats that I've kind of noticed about him, like he also broke zero tackles off after all of his catches broke zero tackles. So robert tundin we gotta sure. get
0: a robert tundin the account going
1: <laughs> there's there's so many weird things about his season last year again you know none of the peripheral metrics like yards after the catch per reception, missed tackles force per attack. like i guess i'm not so sure like okay yes he does see more targets but what does he do with them like that i guess that's my concern with him like i don't know how much he's going to generate on his own like how much of his production last year was really because of rogers like, and because of the like hundred, like hundred like percent. I guess, yeah. So I guess that's my concern with him. Like, look, there are he's definitely better than a lot of other tight ends. And you reach a point in the draft where you're just looking for a guy with touchdown upside, and that's Robert time Like because he's attached to Aaron Rodgers. So I totally get understand buying him there, and the price again is not egregious. But for me, I think I still prefer some of the late round tight ends going after him that I think could see a higher target share in their offense.
0: Fair. So I'm guessing he's not your most underutilized player.
1: No, he's not. <laughs> so, so mine is just uh, Aaron Jones. Yeah. And again, it's it's tricky to like really label him as underutilized because I think that I think it'd just be really cool to see him like with a eighty percent snap share and just friggin' be at a Christian McCaffrey level. Like I think that'd be really cool to see. But at the same time, they do use him correctly where they take an advantage of how he's used in the passing game. You know, he's caught fifty two passes in each of his last two seasons. Thirty of his receptions came up with him either lined up in the slot or out wide, which kind of shows you that they move him around and he's really. A viable weapon in this passing game he's not just someone that like catches dump off passes like and that's how you know that you can rely on that pass gaming usage when you project Aaron Jones moving forward in PPR and half point PPR that like it's not like game script like oh if they're behind like then Aaron Jones will catch passes like no like he's a legitimate threat to take passes in this offense so I think that Aaron Jones is just one of those guys that you want to draft and you're running in your fantasy league this year like I know that I recently just moved him up above Austin Eckler because you look at the upside of Aaron Jones versus Eckler and it's like, Aaron Jones has the goal line work. He has the pass catching. He plays on a good offense. Like he checks off all the boxes except for the fact he doesn't play on 80% of snaps, but he makes up for it by being, you know, one of the most efficient running backs in the NFL since since entering the NFL, basically. You know, third in PFF rushing grade, fourth in yards per carry since 2017, Aaron Jones. So for me, again, I think that whatever you can do to get Aaron Jones on your fantasy team, you should do it.
0: Jones, you're RB7?
1: Yes. Yep. And I feel like it's too low. And I I, I like, I'm so torn like with Derrick Henry too, because I know Derrick Henry's not going to be as good as he was last year. I'm just like, just move Aaron Jones ahead of him. Like, that's what I kind of want to do. But yes, he's right now, he's, at, he's RB7.
0: I got him there too, one spot ahead of Eckler. I think it's a very fair spot. We've been wanting them to give him this feature workload for years. That's why people have a negative opinion on Jamal Williams, not because of Jamal Williams, but because he prevented us from seeing A. Aaron just getting absolutely fed. And particularly the lack of usage as a receiver has been the part that's pissed me off the most. Since 2017, only Austin Eckler and Naeem Hines have averaged more yards per route run when lined up in the slot or out wide. You said it, Jones is like making legit contested catches downfield. He is a stud and we've seen them tap into that more when Devonte adams has missed time over the years just not enough as someone of his talents would be like give this dude 80 90 targets and we're talking about a legit top three fantasy running back he has the skill set to do it will he get it or not remains the question i think this takes us to our favorite fantasy value another flex with benefits mr aj dylan because andrew as we've been harping on all offseason that one tweet the jordan love practice Day like another one that was just crazy, you know, May days that uh, took fantasy football Twitter over. AJ Dillon was catching wheel routes, and more and more we see more uh, training camp tweets about him being used in the passing game. Obviously, didn't do much at Boston College, but wasn't asked to do much. And we've talked about the difference between those things. So, with Williams leaving 150 touches on the table, Dillon seemingly is set up for those and maybe the pass game work. If not, if Aaron Jones can just take that leftover pass down work, that's how he's going to get to the top three. If not, Dillon, I think where he's going in that RB3 range is a great value because, again, we get the flex. And the benefits are an 80-90% roll if Jones happens to miss time. Are you with me here? Or are you looking elsewhere in the wide receiver core, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I had A.J. Dillon as my wild card as a player that, you know, if Aaron Jones gets hurt, he could potentially take over the backfield. Like, he has, again, flex with benefits. Like And these are the running backs you want to make sure you target. And you don't need to go out of your way to get these guys. Like, they're all available at a good price in the double digit rounds, It's really like rounds nine through 11. It's kind of like that sweet spot where you find a lot of these types of running backs like an A.J. Dillon. So I love the call there. My fantasy value pick was Randall Cobb because I think that he should be viewed as the clear wide receiver to own outside of Devontae Adams in this offense. And it sounds kind of weird because Lazard is there. MBS is there. They drafted uh, Amari Rogers. So why would you go back to Randall Cobb? It's because Aaron Rodgers trust this guy he literally lives at his house it's the Antonio Brown Tom Brady thing all over again and we saw how that happened with Antonio Brown Antonio Brown was seeing as many targets as freaking Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Antonio <laughs> Brown was barely even drafted last year so look Randall Cobb is probably gonna still be a guy that's like not gonna rise in most like home league ADPs because of the fact that he was just kind of added to the player pool like so, I mean he wasn't even in my rankings like at all I'm like I'm not ranking Randall Cobb on the Houston Texans <laughs> like I'm not doing that but the minute that he go- lands in Green Bay it's like oh man like what could this potentially be? And you look at how he did last year. I mean, I I figure, you know, at age 30, that Randall Cobb, you know, as he washed up, so I kind of looked at his numbers, and he actually, from the slot, he has the third highest passer rating generated in the last two seasons. So that's without Rodgers. And if you look at Rodgers the past two seasons, he has the PFF's third highest passing grade targeting the slot. So with Cobb locked and loaded in the inside, I think that he's going to see a lot of efficient targets. I think that's going to make him the player that you want in this offense behind Davante Adams.
0: It's going to be him or MVS, and we kind of flip-flopped. Fancy values and wildcard scenarios here because my wildcard scenario is MVS actually becoming a thing here. Potential fourth-year breakout? Maybe, just maybe. We saw the booms, and I know there was some busts. I've seen the drop compilations. The one against the Eagles was my favorite. Rodgers throws this absurd 60-yard bomb to MVS, hits him in the chest, goes to the ground, and 10 seconds later, I counted it, 10 seconds later, they just show Rodgers, hasn't moved, just staring at the same spot. MVS dropped the ball. It's concerning to me that we haven't, you know, when Rodgers basically, says I'm not playing for Green Bay again unless Randall Cobb comes back and then he says oh and also like you guys cutting Jake Kummer who's the second best wide receiver in training camp like back to back like shots at MVS without specifically saying his name it's problematic we have been getting some good training camp reports though and this is from Matt Schneidman uh, from The Athletic who said Valdez Scantling's hands have been noticeably better so far in camp if he keeps this up he's the clear cut number two wide up behind Devontae Adams MVS isn't just a deep ball threat anymore one of those, we'll believe it when we see it type situations. But man, even towards the beginning of the offseason, I've been happy to put MVS on some best ball rosters, you know, rounds 14, 15 and on. He's the perfect player we look for. He's either going to give you a touchdown, 50 plus yards, maybe even flirt with 100 plus as he did on two separate occasions or nothing. And he's not starting in your lineup anyway. So you could do worse, particularly, I mean, if you have Aaron Rodgers already, I don't see why you wouldn't be spamming some of these wide receivers with your late round picks. Andrew, our over-under set at 10, minus 140 juice on the over. How are you feeling about the 2021 Green Bay Packers?
1: I'm still going to go over here because I do think that having Aaron Rodgers there, even if his numbers decrease, I don't think the overall offensive output is necessarily going to decrease that substantially because he still he showed last year that he can still operate this office at a high level. So I think that the offense is still going to be good. It's going to be above average. So I'm going to roll with the over here.
0: Yeah, I mean— Matt LaFleur, you know, someone that we've given a lot of shit over time. But <laughs> back-to-back years, first year as head coach, 13 wins in each year. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is mostly responsible for that, but we did see that perfect marriage between him letting Rodgers make the absurd throws that only Aaron Rodgers can make a lot of times. Okay, I know Mahomes can do it to chill out Chiefs fans, but perfect marriage between that and also setting himself up for some easy success. And that's why our own Eric Eager actually ranked Matt LaFleur as the best play caller in the NFL after the 2020 season. So I will also take the over. I'm just surprised it's not you know closer to 11, 11 and a half. I feel like they could still get pretty even action on both sides. With that number set down at 10, I am happy to take the over there. Uh, before we get into the next segment, people, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is free fantasy football league managers, the most customizable, easy to use, and feature rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing out to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. My favorite part about it, you can customize your leagues however you want. So get the kickers the hell out of here where they belong. If you're coming from another site, that's no problem. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues completely free. Up and play now at fantracks.com/pff and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league. Make your league on fantracks and then head out to a free Las Vegas Raiders game with your buddies. That's fantracks.com/pff the home of fantasy sports. And also people College football season is just around the corner. Quinn Ewers and your Ohio State Buckeyes looking like the team to beat. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just an ignorant Buckeye fan. Don't mind me. But anyway, to celebrate, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new players in the center of the action with $200 in free bets instantly. If you bet $1 or more on any college football game, DraftKings Sportsbook is safe, secure, and reliable, located right here in the United States. So it's easy to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code P. PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That's promo code PFF to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. Limited time only. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com/sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-NINE WITH IT. Andrew, we've reached the final team in the NFC North. Your Minnesota Vikings. What's your defining question?
1: My defining question is Can Dalvin Cook be the RB1 overall and and not Christian McCaffrey? And I kind of looked at the situation. I mean, what Cook did last year, third fantasy points overall, second expected fantasy points per game, first in touches per game, everything is there for him to potentially be the guy that you want. And again, people were going to be disappointed that, oh, I don't have the 101. Like, I'm not, I don't get Christian McCaffrey. But I think that, like, Dalvin Cook is like, basically right on par with what CMC could potentially produce in his offense. And you look at, I kind of looked at the offense as a whole and Carolina, we've talked about Sam Darnold, how we're not like super thrilled about like his potential outlook, but with this Minnesota Vikings offense, I mean, Dalvin cook probably has a path to more touchdown upside than McCaffrey does in a Sam Darnold offense. You look at Kirk cousins last year, his 35 passing touchdowns were career high. So again, it's kind of going back to, okay, so if his touchdowns come down, Based on just natural regression, his red zone touchdown rate was the highest of all players last season. You know, Adam Thielen is Adam Thielen going to catch 14 touchdowns again? Probably not. No. So, if those come down, where are the touchdowns going to go? I think it could go to Dalvin Cook, who could potentially be the RB1 in this offense. So, again, there's not a lot of question marks about this offense overall just because it is so concentrated on the running back, the top two receivers. So, that's kind of the question I took about Dalvin Cook. And I think that if you have the number two overall pick, I think you should still be absolutely thrilled that you're not, you know, you didn't get CMC, but you're literally getting the second best thing.
0: Yeah. Look, I've talked about this kind of fancy opportunity score I put together where if you just ignore the names, and if you just look at the projected volume for everyone, historically targets are worth 1.61 PPR points, uh, rush attempts are worth 0.6. If you just only look at the projections and see, okay, where the running backs rank in pure expected opportunity, it's number one, Christian McCaffrey, number two, Dalvin Cook, and number three, Alvin Kamara. And hey, they just so all happen to be awesome real-life players as well. Those should be your top three backs in any half or full PPR setting. Um, My defining question was more about the offensive line because our own uh, Seth Galina wrote an awesome article earlier this offseason calling Kirk Cousins a dark horse MVP candidate in large part because some of the improvements they made on the offensive line. Uh, This next excerpt is from Seth's article. Just creeping to average would be an improvement for this offensive line, and the front office has made the right moves to do that. That puts the ball in Kirk's court. The pieces are significantly better than they've ever been around him, subtracting the timeless skill of Stefan Diggs, but replacing it with Justin Jefferson, Ezra Cleveland, Christian Darasol, and Wyatt Davis is probably a net positive. And that's it, man. Like Kirk Cousins in the news for you know all the annoying reasons recently, but just in terms of what he's doing on the football field, is a lot better than people give him credit for. Since 2018, when he joined the Vikings, seventh among 50 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade, Tybert Russell Wilson for 11th in yards per attempt, fourth in their just completion rate, seventh in QB rating, and he's been doing it downfield. And you can keep saying he hasn't won the big one because anyone that hasn't won a Super Bowl hasn't won the big one. Like he has in a fantastic game in the Superdome, outduels Drew Brees, like makes countless So clutch throws to Adam Thielen, puts the ball in a perfect spot to Kyle Rudolph to win the game, and he loses the next week and everyone just says, oh, typical Kirk Cousins, can't win, you know, when the bright lights are on. So, Kirk Cousins, someone that, you know, I'm not saying you need to treat this guy as a top five quarterback, but... Hey, if Matt Ryan had it all go together one year and won an MVP, I think Cousins is good enough to maybe pull that out. Again, if everything goes right, which as Seth points out, maybe just maybe with some of the offensive line upgrades they've made, things could go right in a big way in 2021. Andrew, who's your most underutilized player on the Minnesota Vikings?
1: Irv Smith Jr., because mm-hmm. it looked like he was going to break out all over the place. Kyle Rudolph was gone. Exactly what we wanted. We're like, okay, sick. Like, this is perfect. It's lining up. The, the stars are aligning for Irv Smith, because last year without Rudolph, we saw Smith rank eighth in fantasy points per game, and we saw his role as a receiver increase dramatically. Ran 118 routes over that stretch. It was literally 30 per game, which was eighth most at the position. It was actually a much higher than his 18 routes run per game, because that's the thing. We, we need our tight ends running routes. We don't want them blocking. We want them to be bad blockers. We want them to be good pass catchers and running routes. But unfortunately, Mike Zimmer comes out he's like, yeah, we're not going to expand Irv Smith's role this year. We are going to just, you know, use Tyler Conklin a little bit more. So that kind of dampened the potential breakout. I know the reports have been pretty good about Irv Smith, but you have to, like, tread pretty lightly, like, or tread with caution with Irv Smith before you kind of go all in and be like, all right, he's my tight end to own. Like, I don't know if I feel comfortable having him as my tight end one going into the season because You don't know how these snaps are going to play out, you know, during that stretch of games when Kyle Rudolph missed, yes, Irv Smith was producing, but it wasn't like the usage wasn't really in his favor versus Tyler Conklin. Conklin was basically doing almost exactly everything that Irv Smith was doing as well. So that's one of the concerns. Again, i love for Irv Smith to just kind of take over and take that next step because we know he's talented coming from Alabama. He's got athletic upside. This is the, some of the traits we look for in these breakout tight ends, but if it's a 2 tight end system, even if they don't have any other receivers to throw the ball to, there are some red flags.
0: Yeah, I love Irv Smith. You love Irv Smith. The Vikings, I guess they love Irv Smith, but they don't care they're, about they're his lukewarm. fantasy value. Yeah, they're lukewarm <laughs> on the situation. You mentioned the four-game split to end last year with Kyle Rudolph sideline. The first game of that, Irv was coming back from injury, so he only played 28 total snaps. After that, though, he was playing 79% plus in three games. So in those four games, which – Again, one slightly reduced, but otherwise pretty good split. Irv played 203 snaps. Conklin, 202. Smith had 20 targets. Conklin had 23. They both had 15 catches. Like, Tyler Conklin is just going to be this, like, Jamal Williams-type player in terms of being annoying for fantasy. He's not really going to be a fancy asset in his own right. He's just going to hold back Irv Smith. So, I've seen some people really getting behind Irv, and he is a great player. One of the prime examples, though, of why, we're chasing fancy production, not guys that are necessarily great in real life. So I have Irv Smith as my tight end 17. He's right there with Mike Jesicki, Cole Komet, Evan Ingram, you know, guys that I'm just quite a bit lower on than others because we're chasing opportunity, not looking like Irv's gonna have a ton of it in twenty twenty one. Andrew, who's your favorite fantasy value on the Minnesota Vikings?
1: The top I said that this offense is so concentrated that Pretty defined like where these players are going in terms of ADP I don't really think there's any like streaming values but the only guy that I kind of noticed I, I thought was kind of down lower than I would expect is Justin Jefferson so he is my wide receiver six overall and his ADP is wide receiver eight I don't know if the shoulder injury has impacted his ADP at all but I felt pretty firm with wide receiver six I have him like basically right outside the top tier of the top five guys which are Jefferson or uh, Hopkins Ridley or uh Hopkins, Ridley, who are the other top guys? Oh, you know him. Know. Come on, Andrew. Adams, Hill, Diggs, Ridley, There you go. <laughs> that was my top five. It's been a long day of ranking the players. <laughs> so Justin Jefferson comes in at number six for me, and I don't know what else. Like, I don't get how you can rank other guys higher than him. I mean, what? 22-year-old rookie, compiled 1,400 receiving yards, third among all receivers, 90.5 PFF receiving grades, second, 2.6 yards per route run, second, set the record for most rookie receiving yards in the Super Bowl era and earned the highest PFF receiving grade versus man coverage since 2014 as a rookie in a truncated offseason, averaged 18.4 fantasy points per game, which was top five last year. So if he just does what he did last year, he's top five. So how is he already being ranked outside the top five is something that I don't really understand. So for me, I mean, this guy could take another step forward. I mean, everything out of camp before his injury was – this guy looks more explosive than last year. I'm just like, oh my God. Like, I want this guy on my team. And the fact that I'm a little bit higher on him than the market would imply, I'm thrilled about.
0: Dynasty, overall wide receiver one.
1: Yeah. Yep. I think, uh, oh, no, no, still A.J. Brown. I'm still, because Julio's, not, I don't know how long Julio's going to be. I think Justin Jefferson's number two, but A.J. Brown, yes, he's still number one, but Justin Jefferson is number two.
0: <laughs> Jefferson, A.J.B., and is C.D. three? Is that our big three? I
1: think, I mean... <laughs> Probably is now. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be now. After that latest
0: training camp touchdown, how could it not be, right? But, yeah, no, it's a it's a fair point on Jefferson. I have him as the wide receiver eight just behind Metcalf and Allen. That's full PPR. So I I don't disagree with you, though. He could be up there as high as six for sure because Cousins, just like uh, really, Russell Wilson, even though they operate more in run-first offenses, both quarterbacks do a great job of just really centralizing their entire target share around their top two guys. Last year, only DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett boasted the higher combined target share. Then Jefferson, and Thielen, only DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson beat them in terms of air-yard share. So, yeah, man, Jefferson, uh, I think, to, has a, certainly a great chance to be a top-five receiver. Are you fading, Thielen, again? Because I, I saw someone bring up a good point where – I was talking about how I want Cooper over CD. And they were like, well, by that, you know, by chasing the veteran logic that's been there before, you take Thielen over Jefferson. And, you know, not exactly the same comparison. I think the issue was, like you said, is he going to catch 14 touchdowns again when his targets just really fell off a cliff, man? In 2017, Thielen averaged 8.9 targets per game. In 2018, he averaged 9.6, dropped all the way down to 7.2 last year. And I remember I was like higher on Thielen than almost anyone as my wide receiver six i think going into last season he finished wide receiver 10 i got freaking lucky people because jefferson was the number one receiver on this team by the end of the year you know i was picking jefferson excuse me i was picking thielen as the wide receiver six because i thought 150 targets were in his potential range of outcomes now no that's in jefferson's range of outcomes not so much still unfortunately so still still solid if he falls you know into the wide receiver three territory where i have him absolutely sign me up just not someone that you should be using anything resembling a top 20 pick on at this point in time um i would say my favorite fantasy value or at least my favorite the guy i have the most exposure to has been alexander madison and i was kind of surprised when i looked at the underdog exposure but when he's going as an rb 47 right now i'm fine on that i think that falcons game when we all had him ranked inside the top 10 just scared everyone off he only got 11 touches he busted in a big way but they were down 20 to nothing with like 10 minutes left in the third quarter. So yeah, Amir Abdullah came in, he took the pass down work and that is a problem. We're not exactly looking at Tony Pollard or Latavius Murray, you know, guys that will get 80, 90% snap rates. If the RB one leaves, but still people, we had three games with cook, either sideline or limited to fewer than half of the snaps last year. Madison had the 11 touches, but then 23 and 24. in those other games, if cook is out, Madison is going to be the absolute workhorse bell cow. And Andrew, we talked about already, we want the flexes with benefits above people like Madison, but at a certain price, Madison offers you a hell of a lot of value, particularly behind a running back that has gotten hurt every single season of his career.
1: Yeah. You can't ignore the facts that Dalvin cook played 14 games last year. He never played 16 games in a full season. That doesn't mean he's a liability at the number two pick. It's just the fact of, that's what the running back position is. Like guys miss games and the Vikings realize that they'd rather just sit Dalvin Cook instead of play him at seventy five percent when they could just play Alexander Madison for a game. Like that's gonna be part so there's gonna be weeks where hopefully Alexander Madison just benefits from better game script that you're going to be able to play him. And it's funny that Tony Pollard is is the number one ranked guy for the handcuff potential because of the upside that if Zeke goes down, but Zeke has literally missed one game his entire career because of injury. So it, I just think it's funny how we kind of operate that way, but they're chasing the upside of, oh, well, if Zeke goes down, it's like, yeah, well, he's like the least likely of the top running backs to go down because he's just been so durable throughout his career. So I think the same thing can be said about like Rashad Penny as well. Like yeah. Chris Carson always misses games. So Rashad Penny's actually finally fully healthy. So kind of throw him as another guy. Seattle could run the ball a lot. So potentially a sneaky, Flex with benefits is is Rashad Penny. Gotta give him a shout.
0: Yeah. Now that we actually got some good news on Penny's health, I mean, I was all over that, you know, around draft time, uh, you know, when the NFL draft was going on. But then afterwards we got some May reports saying he wasn't hundred percent. Now he is, apparently. So just another uh saga with off season uh, training camp news. Gotta gotta live with it. Wild card scenario, I had that Cousins just rocks out and both Jefferson and Thielen repeat as wide receiver ones. This would have to be like more of an offensive shift, I think, to more of a pass-first attack. The defense would have to stay bad because, again, I'm just not so sure there's going to be overall enough targets for both these guys, even with Kirk condensing it as much as he can. But with that said, man, we know how good Jefferson is. And Thielen, even though the touchdowns are going to fall off, I mean, nothing about his play last year like looked like a guy that's just poised to fall off a cliff or anything. So even though, I mean, as an industry, we're pretty low on Thielen. He's like wide receiver 27, 28, I think, uh, most mostly ADP-wise. But he could keep balling out. It's not like Thielen's just consistently worn, you know, on overwhelming athleticism throughout his entire career. I'm not trying to say that he's not an athlete. I understand he can be white and also a highly athletic receiver in the year 2021. I'm just saying, you know, even though the age is getting up there and stuff, still someone that really for the last year and a half, we've still seen operating as a high-end talent. Just an opportunity where maybe we're wrong. We'll see what it looks like when week one comes along. What are you thinking as a wild card, Andrew?
1: Yeah, just so I can get my take on Dylan. I agree with you that I'm definitely like lower on him than other players. I just think there's a lot of other receivers in that range that I kind of want to chase someone that's ascending versus a player that really looks more or less like they're descending based on the fact that now he's going to kind of step back and be the number two in the offense when he's been the number one last year, at least for the beginning of the season. So I definitely agree with you there. For me, it's, okay, so what if what happens if one of these receivers goes down? Like, who is playing by receiver for the Minnesota Vikings? Because you have... So this is their starters at Saturday's practice because Justin Jefferson obviously got his shoulder banged up, so he's not practicing. Adam Thielen wasn't there. They're starting four receivers. KJ Osborne was a draft fifth rounder last year. Didn't play a single snap on offense. Amir Smith-Marset, their 2021 fifth rounder. Dan Chisna, no idea who that is. And Chad Beebe, who's kind of been on the depth chart for a couple seasons now. Because OBC Johnson tore his ACL, so he's already gone. Like He's out of the conversation already. So... This team could be in trouble if one of their top two guys ends up getting hurt at some point. And I think that would actually might be the path for Irv Smith Jr. to actually see an expanded role because I think that they would have to be yeah. forced to play him in a pseudo-wide like wide receiver role in the slot. So I think that that's something to pay attention to, that yes, we're concerned about the Tyler Conklin thing, but if one of these receivers goes down, I can't imagine one of these necess- one of these guys is going to step up and have a huge role D.D. Westbrook, they signed. He's coming back from a torn ACL, so he hasn't even really practiced in full yet. So there's a lot of question marks about the receiver. thing, And that's something that could really hurt Cousins as well, I think, is if one of their top two guys goes down. Like, they have no depth behind them, whereas you have, like, the Buccaneers, who have, like, 12,000 wide receivers they could turn to if, you know, one of their starters goes down.
0: Irv last year, 28% snaps came in the slot or out wide. Certainly something he's capable of. Good notes and all these banged up receivers. I just hope someone overtakes Chad Beebe. Not because I have anything against him. (laughs) I'm just so tired of every game. He gets one or two catches and the announcer just has to remind us that, oh, his dad is actually Dom Beebe. Just like Chris Hogan played lacrosse. Just like, you know, Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw used to play in the same little league team. We get it. Tell us once or twice and move the hell on. Chad Beebe, Dom Beebe's son. End of story last time. I like I'm ever I, I like DD
1: Westbrook. At, yeah. I mean if he's if he can be healthy. Like I mean he's like he has 2 seasons on his his resume, 2018-2019, 66 catches, over 650 receiving yards and he's been primarily the slot receiver for the Jacks. So theoretically, he would be the guy that they play in 11 personnel when they have Thielen and Jefferson on the outside cuz those guys didn't have like 50% plus snap slot snap shares last season. So but it depends on his health and most of the time, they're going to not even run 11 personnel. They're going to just try to focus on using 12.
0: Former Blittenkopf winner, but I agree. I think Dee, Dee has the most uh, upside out of any of those guys, but none of these number three receivers are going to be fantasy relevant because Dylan and Jefferson have such a stranglehold on the target share. Andrew, the over under for the Vikings set at nine. We got minus 115 going both ways. What are you feeling?
1: gonna go with the over here it really has nothing to do with the offense because I think the offense are kind of be status quo of what they've been you know run centric but with efficient passing and led by Kirk Cousins it's really about the defense because last year was uncharacteristically Mike Zimmer's worst defense of his like coaching career it was just so bad and it's because they had so much overturn from the year prior and they had guys opting out and like this is a list of all the players that they're getting back this year or or have added to their defense and so Daniel Hunter second in the NFL in pressures, and fifth in sacks in 2019, missed the entire season in 2020. Linebackers Anthony Barr, Eric Hendricks, they missed 19 games combined last year. Michael Pierce, was their big defensive tackle signing that they were going to use to plug up the middle after losing a guy in free agency? He opted out last year because of COVID. So they didn't even have that player, that big defensive tackle to help stop the run, which is why they were so bad against the run last year. Cameron Dantzler was a rookie that they drafted last season. He started out the season very poorly, but finish as a PFFs or one of PFFs highest graded cornerbacks down the stretch. They obviously also added Patrick Peterson and Prashad Greenland. I don't think neither of those guys are like elite players, but they needed depth at the cornerback position because they were basically starting all rookies last season. So they got some veteran presence there as well. So I think that the defense is going to be significantly improved. I think that's something to also consider when we talk about this Vikings offense. Like I don't know if we're going to see, This team be uh, an offense or a team that we target for DFS like shootouts and things like that, because I think they're going to run around the ball and I think their defense is going to be a lot better. So when you cite, oh, the Vikings sucked against, you know, exposition last year, I think you might want to take a step back because I think this defense is going to look way different than it did last year.
0: Also added Patrick Peterson and Bashad Brelan to start a cornerback. I think Peterson is, you know, a shell of his former self. Still an upgrade over the guys they were trotting out there in 2020. And yeah, I'm with you. I trust like the Vikings are turned around better than the Titans or the Raiders. Some of these other teams that had, you know, pretty huge splits between their offensive and defensive points per game rank. Because last year was literally the first time since Zimmer got to Minnesota that didn't have a great defense. He got there in 2014. Their defensive ranks and points per game allowed 11th, 5th, 6th, 1st, 9th, 5th, 29th. So maybe Zimmer, you know, maybe, maybe he's just lost his fastball. But I think, again, like you said, the Neil Hunter, uh, Michael Pierce when we have a smart coach getting a lot of great players back and then, you know, just getting, maybe maybe Peterson can have like a Xavier Rhodes like impact in the system, better suited to his talents. Just, you know, again, I don't think he's fully done. Are his days of just locking up the opponent's number one receiver week after week over? Yeah, but I'm sure that Zimmer can, you know, play around what he can still do. I am also taking the over on the 2021 Vikings. Nine just feels low, man. And I feel like, you know, it's just coming all Always comes back to people underestimating Kirk a little bit. And I must admit, I am a little nervous myself putting so much stock in kirk cousins uh in at least these first seven weeks of the season Again, we didn't even mention that with this but yeah people kirk cousins first seven games don't forget it when you draft trey lance and justin fields takes us right to the division pick packers the favorite at minus 160 vikings at plus 250 bears plus 550 in the detroit lions plus 2800 for those of you feeling frisky out there <laughs> who do you like andrew
1: well, I don't want to burn my money, so I'm not going to take the Lions in this certain scenario. So I'm just going to, I'm going to go with the Vikings. I like the Kirk Cousins narrative that he just needs one kind of outlier season for him to kind of put himself in. You know, if Matt Ryan could do it, I think that was a really good comparison. If Matt Ryan could do it for one year and lead his team, you know, to a Super Bowl or a division championship, I think that Kirk Cousins could probably do it as well. So he's got the weapons, he's got the defense to back him, got the running back. So, yeah, I'll,
0: I'll take the Vikings at plus 250. Yeah, I'm taking the Vikings as well. Like, call me crazy. I kind of think maybe everything going on in Green Bay this entire offseason, not really a positive for everyone uh, there. Like, it's like Aaron came back great. Did anyone even expect him to come back before that? I don't know. And how do they feel about him, you know, probably leaving uh, next year? I don't know. And uh, again, at plus 250 for a very good team, uh, I think those are odds that I am down to clown with. Andrew, we only have one more. Team preview coming up, it will be the AFC North. We should have that published this Thursday or Friday. You yourself are finishing up your fantastic team preview series on pff.com. How many more you got over there?
1: I just have the AFC North to kind of just wrap up. I got some notes on most of the teams already done, but publishing it up. And then also going back and refreshing some of them. So again, this way you don't search for the Rams and be like, Andrew, like, Cam Akers is not a breakout anymore. Like, what are you doing, man? It's like, no, like it's been updated. Like Daryl Henderson has now slid into the breakout section Makers, I'm sorry I had to take you out. So going back and updating some of them with some news because they've been out for a while. want to make sure everybody has the most up-to-date information. Again, news is happening all the time in the NFL, but try to keep things up-to-date as possible.
0: Great stuff, and as always, people, we can find Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. I too am kind of tackling that endeavor with my recent writing. I have an article coming out on Wednesday when you should be hearing this. I went through every single NFL team and just listed the off-season moves: who did they sign, who did they trade for, who did they draft. You know, I just focused on the actionable players at like quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Did a short little blurb. You can run through it and just catch up because you know sometimes you just don't remember. Joe Flacco is now a member of the philadelphia eagles and if you just haven't been paying attention to the entire offseason nice little refresher for you to go and get caught up ahead of august ahead of your fantasy drafts and ahead of real football on its way soon so thank you as always for tuning in to pff fantasy football podcast new episodes out every single day throughout the offseason and we will be back with more shortly he's andrew i'm ian until next time take care everybody